In the epistle, St. Paul tells the Romans, Brethren, be not wise in your own conceits. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Now, we've been hearing an awful lot from St. Paul these last few weeks, haven't we? And there's nothing wrong with that at all. The apostle of the Gentiles and the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth had a very deep understanding of the human heart, as well as a very practical knowledge of all of the problems his people had to face in their day-to-day lives. And the epistle that he wrote to the Romans is really his masterpiece. It's the greatest of all his epistles. After St. Paul's miraculous conversion, when he was knocked off his horse and saw our risen Lord, he was on the road to Damascus, remember, St. Paul traveled the known world on three separate missionary journeys, preaching to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians alike. The first trip took him three years. He covered uh, Asia Minor, which is, I believe, now present-day Turkey. His second voyage took him two years. He returned to Asia Minor, and then also he pushed into Greece. And then his third voyage, this one took him five years. He revisited all of those same areas he had been before. And at the end of this third journey, he spent three months in Greece, and he's planning to return to Jerusalem in time for the great feast of Pentecost. But it was during those three months in Greece that he took the time to write the letter, the epistle, to the, Roman, the Romans. And one reason for writing this epistle was to sort of navigate the Jewish-Gentile relations in the New Covenant. We don't often stop to think of this point, how difficult it must have been, humanly speaking, for the Jewish Christians to come to grips with the fact that the ceremonial and ritual aspects of the Law of Moses are no longer needed and they are not necessary for salvation. And then when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD so that not a stone was to be found upon another stone, there was no more going back for these Jewish Christians. In 49 AD, Emperor Claudius, the emperor of Rome, he expelled all the Jews from Rome, and this included the Jewish Christians. And so during this period, the Gentile Christians, well, they followed their customs and whatnot, so that in 54 AD, when Emperor Claudius died and the decree expired and the Jews were allowed to come back to Rome, they returned and there was a a certain amount of difficulty and tension 
between them and the Gentiles, although they were united in essentials of the faith, still there were disputes among them concerning the calendar to be observed and the foods which could and could not be eaten, among other things. And so St. Paul patiently walked them through these issues and then gave them practical advice on how they should treat each other. And that's why charity and forgiveness is such a big theme in his epistle. If you read this entire epistle, you can see his wisdom in dealing with the problems of his day. But it's interesting as you read through this epistle to notice that the problems that existed in his days exist to one extent or another in our own day. Oh, which calendar to follow and the like. So this epistle is one that we can all learn from, both priest and you the laity. First, St. Paul says, be not wise in your own conceits. Now the Romans, they were a bit of a prideful people, probably a bit like today's Americans. They were very proud of their great city and the great empire that has been built and in which they lived. But St. Paul encourages them to be humble because as St. John Chrysostom says, there is nothing that makes such schisms in the church as does vanity. So he continues, pride leads one to think that he is wiser and smarter and understands everything better than everyone else. But a man who is infected with this pride, well, he always thinks that he knows exactly what to do and not to do. And he feels that he is in no need of advice from anyone. He is not convinced of anything contrary to his own opinion. And this is what leads to so much contention and fighting then as now. And so St. Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't act that way. But remember that God has made it so that you are in need of one another. Even if you are wise, Chrysostom says this, you will still be in need of another. And if you think you are not in need of another, then thou wilt be the most foolish and feeble of men. He says, for this attitude leads to recklessness and many an error, for often a wise man does not perceive what is actually needed and a man of less shrewdness hits upon the point. So to sum up that part, he says, don't be prideful. Recognize that you need help and that others can help you. So seek counsel in important matters. And this can be said to both clergy and people alike. Secondly, to no man rendering evil for evil. In other words, he says, if you seek to harm him who has injured you, then you're no better than he is. And thirdly, he says, 
providing good things not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, have peace with all men. Well, the first part is the gospel maxim that our Lord had given. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But he goes on to say, interestingly enough, have peace with all men. Don't offend them. But notice, he makes a distinction here. He says, if it be possible, do not offend them. In matters of religion and faith and morals, we cannot worry about who's going to be offended as long as we don't offend God. If someone is offended by your faith or by your corrections on their immoral lives, then the problem is not on you, but on them. We can't worry then if they're offended. But St. Paul is telling us though, but still you do your part to, to not cause war and fights. But if you see that the cause of religion is suffering anywhere, notice this, do not prize peace above truth, but make a noble stand even to death. But, he then goes on to say, even then, in your mighty stand for the truth, do not allow your soul to be agitated or your temper to rise out of control and to remember that you are fighting the error, not the person. And that is what he is saying here. Fourthly, revenge not yourselves, but give place unto wrath, for it is written, I will repay, saith the Lord, but if thy enemy be hungry, give him to eat. If he thirst, give him to drink. For doing this thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Commenting on, this, on these verses, St. John Chrysostom again says that those who seek personal revenge on another are in direct opposition to the example of Christ. His enemies slandered, calumniated him, persecuted, and finally crucified him. And yet, he bore patiently with them, he prayed for them, and he offered his life in sacrifice for them. St. Paul goes on to say a, something quite mysterious, actually, now. Give place to wrath. What does that mean? Well, he, he means by this, we should never take revenge, never, on another, since revenge and punishment are privileges which are reserved to God alone. So those who seek revenge are actually taking to themselves the rights that belong only to God. On the other hand, the virtue of charity obliges. It is an obligation. 
It obliges us to pray for our enemy's conversion so that God will not be forced to take vengeance upon him. And that's what happened with St. Stephen. When he was being stoned to death, he prayed for his persecutors. Imagine if he had sought revenge in some way or another. Well, we wouldn't have these beautiful epistles of St. Paul to lead us to heaven. And St. Paul says again, don't look for revenge. And he takes us a step farther. And this is really the foolishness of the cross that the saints followed. Do good to your enemy. If he is hungry, then feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And why? Because God does the exact same thing to all of us. We offend him daily and sometimes mortally, and yet he still allows the sun to shine upon all, the just and the sinner, and he showers us with his goodness and his graces, always calling us back to his fatherly heart. Do the same. And he says, by doing good to our enemy, two things happen. First, the enemy sees that you do not react to him in the same way that he treated you, in anger and injustice. He and then he begins, whether he'll admit it or not, he begins to recognize in his heart his own injustice. And perhaps over time, his heart is changed. The second thing is that your own anger and desire for revenge is softened. If you focus immediately upon doing good to the one that has just harmed you, then you will have no time for vengeful thoughts, and your grudges will just sort of vanish. You'll find that out. So I have a challenge for you for this week just one week, I would like you to read over this epistle every morning this week, or listen to at least a part of this sermon, and find a practical application and put it into practice in your daily life, because you will certainly be annoyed by somebody or be offended by someone this week. You'll want to get vengeance on somebody. And the question is, how will you react? According to your fallen human nature or according as the great St. Paul advises? Finally, you know, we read that the early Christians were so much of one heart and one soul that even the pagans and heathens were impressed by them and said, just look at how the Christians love one another. Well, it's no wonder. They had a great Saint Paul to direct them, and they took his advice in these letters to heart. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.